This episode is proudly sponsored by ShakeBay, Canada's easiest way to buy and earn Bitcoin in 10 minutes or less with no deposit or withdrawal fees. It's so easy, even the boomer can do it. Guys, I've personally been using ShakePay for several years and highly recommend them. Their mobile app makes it super easy to buy and sell Bitcoin. All you have to do is e-transfer directly to your ShakePay account and you're ready to go. So head over to shakepay.com or download the mobile app, use the referral code LOONYHOUR and get $30 of free Bitcoin when you sign up. ShakePay gives out free Bitcoin to every user every day just by shaking your phone. They call this the shaking sats feature. It's awesome. I highly encourage you to go check it out. ShakePay has also just launched one of Canada's only Bitcoin cashback prepaid credit cards, which gives users up to 2% Bitcoin cashback on every transaction. If you want to opt out, Canadian dollars and start earning rewards through Bitcoin, go check out ShakePay. Once again, guys, that's shakepay.com. Before we get started, I just want to remind everyone that this information discussed today is not intended to be or construed as investment advice. Please consult a professional advisor before putting a loony in any of these financial markets. The dirty secret is that no one's ever going to get paid back. People have the shortest memories when it comes to investment. We just got to get Keith into Bitcoin. Hey, there's a bubble. Welcome back to the Looney Hour, episode 49. As always, joined by the three amigos, we got Rich Diaz of Acor Macro Consulting and his home base in London, not London, Ontario, London, London. And Keith Dicker of Icecap Asset Management, everyone's favorite boomer. Welcome back to the show, gentlemen. What's, uh, what's shaking? Not much. It's a sad day in England, or sad week, I should say. We're mourning the loss of our monarch. The lady who, if you're unaware, is on the $20 bill. Um, and yeah, I think it's uh, otherwise it's it's okay. Things are pretty normal. Took the tube. It's lovely. You'll survive. Eh? You'll get through this tough time. Yeah, I think I'll get I think I'll get through. There's a, there's a bank holiday on Monday, which is nice. I've had to rearrange some meetings. Keith, Keith went to high school with her, didn't he? <laughs> yeah. yeah, otherwise it's all right. Now, now King Charles the third. Um, is our new king so hopefully they don't put him in put him on our money and i'll just remind all our listeners that the last two king charles's did not have such a great track record Charles, um, the charles's the previous king, king charles the first i can't remember king charles the second i think was killed in the war of roses or something anyways so it's interesting they took that name keith what's going on on your end well i did not know the queen i did not go to school with her I did go to school with the queen mom, but not, not her daughter. So that's, uh-huh. uh, no, I thought it was, uh, we'll go into it, of course, but I thought this is one of the best weeks of the year for the, for markets. Uh, you know, we had a big CPI print on Tuesday and everything just got slaughtered out there, uh, except one market did, did pretty well. Rich, dollar. do you know which one? Yeah. The dollar. Yeah. The, here's the theme for the day. The, the king dollar. King dollar. <laughs> To get it, yeah, oh. Steve. Oh, there, that's right. Yeah. Oh, brother. Okay, the Roman lover. What do you got for us, Steve? Yeah, no, I'm uh, on the last leg of my trip here, so you have to forgive me if it's internet. Yeah, I must say, Italy really does have terrible internet. Um, but man, the food and the wine is so cheap. Like, I went out. You can get like a full thing of like charcuterie. You go out and you buy like a wheel of cheese, fresh cut meat for like ten bucks. It'd be like fifty at home. 
fact that you can just like go and grab a beer on the street walk around, I must say like coming here and experiencing the cost of living and the culture, Canada kind of sucks. You're a lie. convert. We did it. <laughs> yeah. It's you're like, wow. Like literally like we went for breakfast this morning, two people we ate, we ate a lot of food. It was like 12 euros. And I was like, this would have been like 60 in Vancouver. It's, it's insane. I don't know. How, I don't know how they make money, but like, anyways, and like, you know, we're going through this process of like, we go to these wine shops and we're wine tasting and, and uh, they're like, Oh yeah, well we can do free shipping if you're in the U S but they're like, Oh, but if it's Canada, your duties are like obscene. So there's no duties, I guess, if you import wine from Italy to the U S but there's egregious duties where like it literally does not make economic sense to, to buy wine and ship it back. So I don't know. Again, another thing with our country is just, you know, way too much taxes, stupid policies, expensive cheese. So it sounds like I'm the only. So I'm coming home regardless. I was going to say, it sounds like I'm the only true Canadian left here now. You may be. Yeah, it might be. Yeah, you may be. I love how you guys are traveling all the time with the staff and you're enjoying the world. Meantime, like a boomer doesn't leave two blocks from, from where he lives. And I'm pretty happy. the millennial life. You should try it. I went into the city the other day. I had to go in to get a, a, a coffee. So that was a big, <laughs> big trip. Come on, let's roll into This is a big week, guys. We have lots of stuff Lo- happening. Local Tim Hortons. Yeah, yeah. We got a huge week here. I think this is going to be another barn burner of an episode. I mean, let's start things off here on the uh, Canadian side of things as we typically try to. Um, so, you know, the, the obvious one here was... Uh, Politic, politic wise, as uh, Pierre Polyev is the officially the new leader uh, of the Conservative Party. So again, regardless of your political views, I think there's some important things to sort of raise up here. Uh, so I think it was just kind of a slam dunk. I think everybody kind of knew that you know it was going to be a Polyev uh, government on the CPC side. But I think there's some important numbers here. Again, all politics aside, let's try to look at the things here objectively because I think what what matters here is what does this mean for you know, the future politics in Canada. So the Conservative Party leadership race was actually the biggest political fundraiser on record as per Elections Canada. So all the candidates combined raised a total of $8.3 million from 55,000 donors under the federal law that caps individual contributions at $1,600. Um, And so uh, apparently half of those were actually raised by Pierre Polyev. So Pierre Polyev uh, reported $4.6 million in contributions from 39,000 contributors. It was the largest fundraiser by any candidate since Parliament passed the 1974 Election Expenses Act. And just for, for a little bit of context as well, uh, Trudeau, in his successful 2013 campaign for the Liberal Party leadership, he raised $1.9 million from 11,000 donors. So, um, yeah, I, again, one point, I know different times money was worth less in 2013, uh, 1.9 million from 11,000 donors. I think what's more important here is that uh, Paul Yev pulled that in from 39,000. So I think whether you like his politics or not, clearly his social media team, his marketing team was able to get the message out and actually get people to register and sign up, which I think is pretty interesting. So I think, I don't know what your guys' comments are. I'm, I'm kind of more curious with this objectively from a, from a political standpoint, Keith. Yeah. You know what? I think it's very interesting. Like even now, Steve, when you were chatting, like you, you had to qualify everything in terms of, you, you don't want to 
everyone's walking on eggshells these days. You, you don't want to hurt someone's feelings. So remember, guys, we're Canadians. You go in the corner. You, you keep your elbows up. You know, I was chatting with a kid the other day. He's playing hockey. And uh, I was chatting with him. And actually, it was a young lady. And uh, I said, well, is it rough out here? Oh, yeah, it's pretty rough. I said, listen, when you go in the corner, keep your elbow up, hey? That's how you keep other kids away from you. My God, that was the it's, most Canadian thing that's ever been said on the podcast. <laughs> well, you have to, right? You have to push around. But now these days with politics, my God, if you say something to be construed one way or the next. Anyway, so back to, I think, Wesley, you're going to go into in a bit as well. And, and Rich, like we're, we're headed down a pretty nasty road coming up here politically. Uh, but the interesting thing with Polyev winning, one of my good friends uh, is involved with the Conservative Party, has been for a long time, has done a lot of work for them and stuff like that. And, um, you know, I, I was with her a, a couple of nights ago at, at, at a at a wedding and um, it came, I think it was announced then that a poly have won and you know, she wasn't happy with it. You know, she was very displeased. And I say, you know, and, and I figured out of course, because all of the political establishment, you know, they like the status quo. And it's, it's my impression that he is not part of the political establishment. And that's why they tried to wheel out Charay there, you know, a few weeks back. And obviously, uh, you know, with the liberal party in, in power now, they have their political establishment but you're going to see uh you know the media guys coming out a blazing and even from within his own party right they won't be that supportive of him until they have to because then they will you know turn the chairs around the right direction but uh i i think uh, again be canadian guys keep your elbows up every now and then don't be afraid rich hey rich rich has rich elbows to put up he has sharp elbows rich is wearing his ndp orange t-shirt oh, today no. I, I was a fan of Jack Layton, uh, but not the MDP. Go figure. Um, I think it's going to I think it's really interesting because uh, you mentioned it's going to be a nasty, I think, election cycle. I think it's only nasty because for the first time in, I would say, what, five, almost 10 years, there's a viable opposition in Canada. There's a candidate who's young, actually bilingual, uh, can speak to and speak about the issues that are pressing Canadians, whether you agree on his prescription to fix that is irrelevant. He can and does and eloquently so speak to and about and directly to voters about issues that actually bug Canadians, not the ones that certain political parties are obsessed about. Um, and so this idea that you have a viable opposition is why, you know, the CBC is, you know, turning the propaganda wheel faster and faster that the liberal parties are feeling a little bit of the heat, the squeaky bum time, as they say in the UK. Um, and I actually also think that it's, it's um, I think what's also what I'm sort of watching is that because you have a viable opposition, which by the way, I think is, is healthy in any is, is what you need in a democracy. You need a healthy, viable opposition to keep, the party, especially in a parliamentary system, to keep the party in power, which is the problem here in the UK, for example. You have a terrible government in power, Liz Trust, and then you have a completely non-viable opposition in the Labour Party, and then that boat just waffles back and forth with no direction. So, so I think, um, and so this is, for me, that is the key takeaway. You have, for the first time in, in nearly a decade, you had a vile opposition, and what I'm looking for is the impact that that will have on the liberal policy over the next two years. And I can basically 
guaranteed Twinkie bet on this is that the Liberal Party will pull itself to the quote unquote right. Um, because they know what they've done over the last five years, which is basically become the first NDP government in Canada. And I think it'll be really, really interesting to watch them basically um, turn that boat towards more market-based uh, politics, talk about things like inflation, talk about reducing deficit. Remember, I think in Canada, the Liberal Party is a spectrum, just like most political parties. And it will be interesting to see how some of the more quote-unquote right-wing uh, liberal caucus members, uh, you know, see their voices get heard, uh, see if they're put into the cabinet, if there's a cabinet reshuffle and those kinds of things. So that's to me, that to me is the, is the big takeaway. Yeah. What I find most interesting, and this is why I've always said, I really enjoy like finance because I feel like at the end of the day, it's like people that are in finance, like, you know, money managers, hedge funds, whatever, like you basically, you're forced to keep like your emotions out of it. You basically have right. to dig for the truth. You have to figure out what the truth is, regardless of if that fits with your political views or your, your beliefs or your confirmation bias, you have to basically seek out the truth. And, and that's basically how you try to make money, uh, you know, off these trades. And so I always just find it because I'm looking at all these, you know, Twitter accounts, you know, following uh, Paul Yev getting in there and just the amount of people just like, out of anger and 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 just unobjectively i think like yeah you know, so i'm looking at a lot of these like political analysts being like oh this guy still doesn't have a chance it's basically over already and it's like and i feel like just, yeah, i don't know it's just, just weird like these guys like you know they got the phd at the, at the university they're you know, you know and, and it's to me to to sort of dismiss these numbers like again if jagmeet singh had gone out there and run a campaign and and pulled in you know a record number of donations i'd be the first one standing up and say man his something's his marketing team something somebody's doing something right on the marketing side regardless of if you're voting for them or not so that's kind of my opinion on this again i don't want to we're not going to stick too much into the politics here but i do want to actually jump into some comments here clip to some comments from justin trudeau just following uh the polyav announcement let's clip that in right here as you all know the conservative party picked a new leader over the weekend i want to congratulate mr polyev for becoming the leader of his majesty's loyal opposition and we've been making every effort to work with all parliamentarians, and we will continue to do so. But this doesn't mean that we're not going to be calling out highly questionable, reckless economic ideas. What Canadians need is responsible leadership. Buzzwords, dog whistles, and careless attacks don't add up to a plan for Canadians. Attacking the institutions that make our society fair, safe, and free is not responsible leadership. Telling people they can opt out of inflation by investing their savings in volatile cryptocurrencies is not responsible leadership. By the way, anyone who followed that advice would have seen their life savings destroyed. Fighting against vaccines that saved millions of lives, that's not responsible leadership. Opposing the support and investments that have helped save jobs, businesses, and families during the pandemic, that's not responsible leadership. So basically, I think what we're in for in this is going to be, uh, for the 
first time in, in many, many years, Canadian politics is going to get exciting. Uh, it's going to be a heated, heated debate. Again, regardless if you're on the liberal side, if you're on the conservative side or what have you, I think we can all agree that these are going to make for some entertaining debates over the next several years and probably an interesting upcoming election, uh, which is technically slated for 2025. But correct me if I'm wrong. I believe that uh, there can be um, what's the right terminology for it? I'm drawing a blank. Oh, you got me. I wasn't I wasn't <laughs> listening, truthfully. So you never listening. A, a vote of confidence. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Well, no, the, also the coalition, the coalition in theory could break down, right? Right. They, it's actually um, called a non-confidence vote. Not non-confidence. A vote yeah. You're, non-confidence, right? You're too <laughs> in a different world all the time. Old people. Uh, no, but so here's one thing to think about. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. So after this, by the way, guys, we'll talk about religion. <laughs> we'll <have to> do <laughs> politics. Um, and then sex. Hooray. <laughs> yay. Um, Boomer. He doesn't, he doesn't remember what that is. <laughs> no. But I'm not quite sure we'll actually, not say we, I mean the, the economy will, will, will make it that far. Again, I think the stage is set, guys, for some kind of a financial stressful event. Uh, I, I sent out on Twitter, I think it was yesterday, a, a couple charts just demonstrating what Canada's debt load was like on two different metrics back when the last time we experienced stress. So back, uh, you know, you guys were playing PB hockey then, I think, back in 2001, two and three, during, during those years. Uh, you know, the Canadian dollar was headed to 50 cents. I had clients then, they were like, they actually sold at the bottom. Like that's how stressed they were. But, uh, you know, at the time we had a surging debt load, but we were the only ones in the world with really a challenge at that time. Everyone else was somewhat okay. Uh, But, you know, the Canadians, we we got saved because the commodity boom started. A lot of money started coming into Ottawa. Paul Martin, you know, guy wearing the red shirt at the time, you know, he paid down debt. And that was very unusual for, for that side of, of the, uh, I guess, of the aisle, whatever, at, at that time. Because as you're seeing now, like this increasingly, you know, spend, 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 borrow, borrow, borrow. So if we do experience a, a financial or economic crisis coming up, you know, I don't think it really matters which color shirt is in power. I just don't think they're going to be able to, you know, do a, a stick save. You get it? Hockey theme? Oh, God. Zinger. <laughs> Rich didn't play hockey growing up, by the way. How dare um, you? Of course I did. <laughs> he cut his elbows down. Passport? I didn't think I got my passport. <laughs> but that's something to think about. Okay, cool. But yeah, no, I think like, you know, at the end of the day, if you're going to ever have like, you know, because I know like a lot of people are saying, oh, you know, Paul Yev, he's, he's sort of feeding into this like right wing extremism. But I'm like, I think there's definitely a portion that silent minority or whatever you call it. But I think that what's important here is that anytime you have inflation running at 40 year highs and the cost of living is going up and people are actually worse off economically, like it brings out um, fiery politics, right? It brings out that breed. And I think that's where you get into like these regime shifts where things start to change you break down the existing system. You start to question, you know, central banks and stuff like that. People that don't even know who, who Tiff Macklem is, all of a sudden want to know why their mortgage is going up by thousands of dollars every month. This is this is what brings out regime shifts, right? When you get double-digit inflation in food prices, 
people start to get angry and people start to look for change. And so I think that's why ultimately this is a pretty big deal. Um, but, uh, you know, speaking of that, speaking of change, uh, the Canadian labor market, uh, they had some data coming, coming out last week. We've talked about this, how the economy we think is going to continue to, to trend lower and, and weaken. Um, and that's really ultimately the, the goal and the objective of the Bank of Canada right now and of, of central bankers globally. Uh, so the Canadian labor market lost another 40,000 jobs last month. Employment has now declined 113,000 jobs over the past three consecutive months. And the unemployment rate for the first time in a while is up. Uh, from four. So wait, so you guys always give you guys always give me shit about not trusting the Canadian employment data, and now you're and now you're referencing. Well, it. it's working in our favor. It's confirming my confirmation bias, so I am announcing it publicly here. The unemployment rate is up from four point nine to five point four percent. I now have full faith and confidence in Stats Canada. They are a fantastic enterprise. Checkmate, I guess. Keith, Keith do you have any comments on the data? Uh, no, I think, you know, Rich made a good point because, you know, we joke about it before. It, it is pretty volatile. Uh, however, that it, it is a consistent trend. Like it's not getting better or, you know, volatile. It is coming down. So, you know, I we pointed continue... out more so because it's three consecutive months. Okay, let's, let's, let's put it that way. It's not a one-off, hey, this month. And we do see a lot of revisions. StatsCan is notoriously horrible. So let's, let's put that out there. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, again, like I always like to say, you know, we wake up every morning um, you know, trying to figure out has, has anything happened that should force us to change our view? And, and that was just yet another data point suggesting that, you know, we, we are headed for slowdown. So the, the Bank of Canada, as well as the big banks and the media, they're saying it's going to be a soft landing. And uh, no if it's great, that's awesome, right? That's going to be really great for, for everyone. Because we mentioned last week, hey, if Canada does get a soft landing and, you know, Steve's new favorite country goes down the toilet. Uh, you know, Canadians will be able to buy a nice property over over there in Italy. However, I, I think you're going to start seeing a turn soon where everyone will start talking about, you know, we are increasingly, you know, heading towards some kind of a hard landing, which, which is coming up. So that, that's the way I see the numbers. There's just a little bit of a, a little bit more context I'd like to add to the Canadian employment rate. Um, so not only is the is it trending down, uh, despite your guys' misgivings on on the data, I think that's a really good point, and that is a difference between what we all often talk about as the volatile release, is that the in Canada that you just do not have the wage growth that you've had in the U.S., for example, um, and that's a function you know of different things, weak productivity growth, maybe uh, much more immigration in Canada than you have in the U.S. For the I mean in, in absolute terms, which is wild, you can only imagine what it is in relative terms. But um, and then obviously the housing being a drag um, and then and then, you know, there's a bunch of other stuff, too. But the, to me, the, that's the uh, the other wrinkle as far as, you know, the expected retrenchment in spending. Um, you know, in the U.S., you have high interest rates, but no one's their mortgages are not being affected by that increase in interest rate to anywhere near the degree you have in Canada. And in the U.S., you have much, much higher wage growth in some cases, 10, 12% for some sectors. And in Canada, the wage growth, those numbers are maybe two or three. And so for me, that's the other wrinkle I think is important to, to highlight. So let's let's add into this as well, because we actually had a big headline. You know, I think everyone was kind of playing it up and people are probably reading into this maybe a little bit more than they should. But again, this kind of all coincides with what we're talking about, right? Inflation, 
uh, central bank policy, which is derived to slow demand, but to basically make people less wealthy. Uh, so uh, again, so we had StatsCan, thank you StatsCan, um, reporting Canadian household net worth dropped by nearly $1 trillion uh, last quarter. So StatsCan reported combined net worth um, of $15 trillion in the Q2 2022, which was down 6.1% from a year ago. So they lost, shed about $990 billion off Canadian household net worth, uh, which was predominantly related to obviously housing values declining. And that uh, $990 billion decline was the single largest quarterly drop on record. So um, again, these higher interest rates are obviously starting to bite. And when the largest asset of Canadian households balance sheet, which is housing, when that starts to decline in price, uh, your your household net worth, so to speak, declines. And so I think that is going to have larger ramifications here moving forward, which is, hey, all of a sudden, you know, less housing, less housing values, less equity to tap into. You've got the wealth effect where, you know, when your house is declining again, your largest assets declining, your net worth is going down. You're probably not feeling as wealthy and going out and buying a whole bunch of extra goods again, which is all part of the central banker's plan is to kill demand, to to weaken balance sheets, so you stop spending and they can rein in inflation. Um, of course, the last part I will jump on on the Canadian side of things is we actually had, uh, and this is not just a Canada-only phenomenon, it's really happening around the world, uh, which is the government's mailing checks out to fight inflation, which I think really tells you everything you need to know about the current social and political environment today. But we did have the Trudeau government announcing, was it how many, how many billions of dollars um, to fight inflation? Basically, it's a subsidy of a GST rebate, which we talked about in last week's show. A GST rebate, uh, $500 checks to certain households to pay for their rent, uh, which you know, Scotia Bank ironically came out this week and said that it was a horrible idea and it was actually going to prompt the Bank of Canada to likely have to raise rates even further because basically the central bank is working to obviously reduce inflation and kill demand. And these these governments are actually coming out and going in the opposite direction by providing more subsidies. And we're not just seeing this in Canada. We're seeing this obviously all around the world. Can I touch on just, you know, sometimes we we often say, oh, the central banks want this and central banks want that. And people who, who are listening might be like, well, how the hell do you know that? Well, <laughs> I listened to Carolyn Rogers, who is the deputy um, minister, deputy, excuse me, deputy bank of governor. Uh, central bank deputy bank of canada. yeah de- yeah deputy governor of the bank of canada thank you put that on your Carolyn. bingo card <laughs> yeah. um that deputy and she by the way is i listened to her speech and frankly i was really impressed uh she was honest about inflation she was honest about and like forthright about uh the fact that services inflation is sticky and and you'll know, take a long time but the reason I'm, I'm bringing her up is because she literally said and i quote now we need a period of slower growth and so, you know, some, you know, sometimes we're quite flippant about these, you know, comments about central bank, but that, that was on September 8th. You're welcome to go and, and verify and, and double, double check me. But, and then, and to her credit, I thought it was a great speech. It was short. It was sweet. It was erudite. It was to the point. And the key takeaways were it's going to take a long time for to, to inflation to come down. They're going to front load the interest rate hikes. And more importantly is we need a period of slower growth. And so that's just, so that's an important, uh, you know, just to, to give, give, you know, back you up a little bit, Steve, just because I know sometimes we were fast and loose with a lot of these comments, but this is, this is the state of play, sadly. 
Brilliant. Keith, you have any comments? Your house, your house values have gone down. How do you feel? <laughs> I'm poorer than I think. <laughs> uh, uh, well, we've also got, um, you know, we've also got some inflation data out of the U.S., which is extremely, extremely important. And that basically seems to be the one data release that everybody seems to be watching with bated breath. Like, and so, yeah, I mean, maybe Rich, I'll let you sort of break down the uh, the inflation print from the from the U.S. this week, and then yeah, Keith, so you can kind of jump in on the uh, on the market side of that. So yeah, I'll go real quick. So the market rallied basically in the hopes that you know um, that there wouldn't that inflation would come in and disappoint. It did the opposite, but I think it's a mixed picture, right? So you had you had you know a headline kind of came off. I can't remember the exact number. I actually for some reason didn't write it in my notes um, on the back of energy, which we know energy starting to come off. But the thing is, the reality is is you know the, the things that I sort of look at are the underlying components. So core state went up. And why did it go up? It, be, it went up because of the shelter component. Now we've talked a lot about shelter, um, you know, um, owner equivalent rents. I'm sure we've made a meal of like all the definitions, et cetera. But the key thing is that the shelter component continues to ratchet high. Remember shelter is, you know, between 39 and 42%. Someone will correct me. And, um, and it just, key, the, that component continues to ratchet higher and that pushes up the core bit. But also the other thing is food that went up. Uh, like a lot. So we're at 11.4 in the US in food. And then the two other last bits before I'll pass it on to Keith, which is there's ways that you can measure sort of the, the breadth or stickiness of a particular inflation. And so one of them is from the Cleveland Federal Reserve and it's called the median CPI, where basically, you know, they, they, they line up all the different components they look at, you know, 50, 100, I can't remember exactly how many it is. And they take the inflation rate for that median item. And that sort of tells you that the breadth or the depth of the inflation, and that continues to rise. And so you also, although the headline number came down because obviously energy and a couple of other points, that to me is, I think, why the market got, well, I don't know why the market got freaked out, but that's the, to me, the key bit is that you still have an incredible amount of sort of upward momentum in that um, CPI print in, in the inflation story. And then finally, it's the serve, and then that relates to the last point, which is the services inflation, which again is much, much stickier related to labor market, um, you know, and, and will push, continue to push up core. And ultimately, I think, and hopefully, maybe Keith will, I don't know, be interesting to hear what you have to say, Keith. I think it's just that there's not enough rate hikes priced in, and, and that sort of, in my view, led to what the market did, which is absolutely freak the F out. I don't know, Keith, you, do you have anything to add? Yeah, so just to reset everything, I think it was a couple of weeks ago in uh, at the Jackson Hole Fed meetings they had. Remember Powell came out, you know, the like six minute speech and he said, Hey, I'm gonna raise rates a lot longer than you guys think. We're gonna keep doing it until inflation actually comes down to our our target. You know, when markets sold off hard after that. And and since then, uh, you know, it's it been a bit a bit choppy here going on, but this week we started with a rally in equities. And it was clearly short covering because you could see like the the biggest movers in, in equities were the ones with the high short interest. So that's how we can tell. Yeah, it's, it's it is short covering. So coming into this number, you know, everyone was expecting inflation to be you know, it's still high, but to be slowing. Okay, so the rate of change is slowing, and therefore the second derivative. Yeah, the second. <laughs> Rich, we have about 45 minutes to kill. Do you want to explain how that works? Align it with the diffusion 
Sorry, keep going. going. Okay, okay. Um, However, so everyone's expecting this. The markets are all lined up. You know, the the numbers coming out at 8.30 Eastern and it's everyone's ready for a party. Like it's going to surge. And uh, so the key point to know with the two main data points is the month over month and the year over year. And markets look at core. So they, again, it it doesn't matter why, but, but they do. They strip out food and energy, which doesn't make sense. But the core number from month over month and year over year, not only was it greater than what analysts were expecting, it was actually higher than the previous month. So like this was a really hawkish number and it gave the Fed, it gives the Federal Reserve even more, I guess, ammunition or power incentive to keep raising rates. And, you know, and, you know, I guess we say next, like, you know, there she was gone, like markets, markets just like by my terminal, which is on like vertical lines going down on every single market. Um, so with the dollar, the, except, yeah, except for King dollar. So, um, I mean, like talking our book here, we had about 35% of our portfolio was up around one and a half percent that day. That's just, just the way that we were positioned for something like this. And uh, like, and now it's, you know, markets, they, they still haven't sorted themselves out. It was a really weak rally yesterday, which, you know, today's Thursday, of course. So yesterday, you know, the day after the, uh, the CPI number, but uh, you know, we, it, it's increasingly looking like from, our perspective, you know, that, you know, equities could get softer here going even into October. Um, but the real, I want to talk about one other thing. If you guys want to, it's different than inflation. If you guys want to go well, back one to before inflation you go, again, No, can. no, I, 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 one, one thing. My point is a lot more interesting than your No, inflation. no, it's definitely not. I think you forgot to mention the bonds also just continue to sell off. So it's not just equities. Um, and I think that that we can talk about the correlation later, but that that's also, I think, more interesting than what you were going to say, Keith. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> Finally, Rich says something interesting. That's we should get a T-shirt, you know, Rich every now and then says an interesting thing. Uh, but no, but Rich is right. You know, like short bonds sold off and as well as the long end of the curve. It, it was pretty uh, bad. But I, I want to jump over to uh, Europe next and uh, nothing tongue in cheek about it. But um, really, the you know one data point we should all be watching for right now, and, and this is for Canadians, because you always say, you know, what can cause Canada, Canadian markets to roll over? And, you know, we consistently say it, it could be an external event. So that's why we always stress to everyone, you know, be global, like look around the world, what's happening. So, so right now, the biggest number that, uh, you know, all the guys that I, I hang out with online, because I never leave my neighborhood, is uh, it's the Italian 10-year bond yield. So it, it's now at 4%. Uh, I put a chart up, I think it was, it was yesterday, I think, on, on the Twitter. And uh, we're now at this critical point where the ECB, they absolutely have to support this 4% line, it is a hard line in the sand. So you think about it, here's the ECB now, like they're, they're raising rates because inflation is coming in strong. Uh, meanwhile, you know, it, Italy is, you know, even though things are very beautiful on the ground in Italy, like financially, they're not good. Like they're just not good. Uh, but if the Italian 10 years starts surging higher with terms of yield, so the price is coming down, it's going to be pretty tough. And then, so the other, so here's what we got going on. So we, we have, you know, rates are rising. 
bond and equity markets, you know, they're, they're being stressed, not only just in Europe, but around the world. Uh, Euro currency, it's stressed, you know, like it's, it's knocking around like the, the buck area, the par area, but, you know, it, it doesn't look great. Uh, and then you look at, you know, the most powerful country in Europe is, is Germany. So when, when was the last time, guys, Germany had a severe recession? Depends how you define it, but 2014 probably. Yeah, that's not a really a, a big one. We're talking about like the Queen Mum days, guys. Like you're you're back in like in the 20s and after World War II. Like Germany has been like this powerhouse. And uh, and because we all have short memories, really in the last 20 years, Germany hasn't like it's never struggled, right? No. You know, it, it's always been Southern Europe, which has done the struggling, which has always benefited, you know, the, the Germans and, and the other Northern uh, uh, European countries. But uh, so right now, the chancellor, he's saying, um, you know, he claims, don't be worried, guys, be happy. Our economy is, is strong. Meanwhile, uh, you have DIW, which is one of the think tanks over there. I don't know what DIW stands for, but they're telling everyone that we should expect a long downturn in the German economy. The other, uh, the Germany Association of Towns and Municipalities, um, you know, they're coming out and they're basically saying, guys, we're in for a real struggle here coming up. So, so again, you know, it's the, the, you know, the deck is stacked against Germany right now, which means it's stacked even more against the rest of Europe. So, um, you know, I'm just it's saying, not like, just the, it's not, it's the not just the think tanks. At. It's not just the think tanks. It's, it's if you look at the, cons the consumer confidence, the, the the business confidence so the ifo which i can never remember what that um but it's the it's basically the corollary to the ism it's the one of the most important sort of you know ifo stands group. for info nation no 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 that's a terrible joke yeah hey, i don't but know anyways if... but anyway so but their 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 business confidence is basically lower than it was in, in the height of the pandemic um and then if you look at dg ekfin which is director general of economic and financial research is again another sort of a not quasi governmental organization that does all kinds of, you know, inflation expectations, consumer confidence, business confidence indicators, they're all have all collapsed. We talked about this weeks and weeks ago. So it's, it's just sort of corroborating um, what you said, Keith, and definitely, you know, contradicting what the government is trying to tell you. But on the on the on but I mean, you know, the funny thing is, is, you know, what they're now discussing is be relaxing some of the rules on the spending. And we'll see how they, you know, how, what, and that they might relax some rules on subsidizing certain industries. I mean, you know, never let an opportunity, never let a crisis go to waste or something. Oh, I screwed that up. <laughs> yeah. Never let <laughs> a good like crisis that. go to waste. Yeah, exactly. So it will so be guys, interesting how Germany reacts. If, if Germany does roll over really hard, it, it's, it's over for Europe. I mean, that's, that's the bottom line that that's what it is. So it's uh, over for the get, currency. I yeah. think it brings Europe together, but maybe that's a conversation for a different day. Yeah, I think Europe, as soon as things get tough in Europe, they, they all splinter apart into, you know, 19 countries for Eurozone and, and all that. I, I, I think it was, I really, I think it was uh, worse in 2014. It was worse in 2014. This is, this is an acute energy crisis with a clear path to exit. And if tomorrow they turned on all their nukes and started burning coal, which they already have, and lowered the natural gas prices. This is, this is to me, an, an own goal that's easily rectified, which is start burning more fossil fuels and deal with your energy prices properly. It, it's not the same as 2014. I, I, don't, I don't agree with that, but maybe that's a conversation hey, Steve, for a different day. Steve, what do they call it, you know, when you get really too close to something <laughs> and you can't see the big picture? 
<laughs> I think Rich is way too close to the economic fantasy wow. land called Europe. Speaking of uh, Germany, German energy issues. Um, so Germany is edging closer to the nationalism, nationalized, sorry, nationalization of ailing gas importer Uniper. Uh, Uniper, I think that's how you say it. Uh, anyways, they've uh, the government so far to date uh, has already pumped a $19 billion bailout uh, of Uniper. They've already taken a 30%, I believe it's a 30% stake already. So they're now looking to take a controlling stake of uh, this German utility company, uh, which is the largest in Germany. So yeah, there's uh, definitely a, a lot of issues over there. As Rich said, it's definitely an own goal, um, you know, but uh, so we'll, we'll see what happens. I know Keith, Keith's predictions on the, on the Eurozone continue so to be a so donut. So. But there's not, it's not just the mm. Italian spreads that I think we should keep an eye on just for, you know, for people playing along at home. I think you should keep an eye on the corporate bond spreads, I think are also, I think way too sanguine for what's going on, whether it's in the US or in Europe. If you look at corporate bond spreads in Europe, they're they're high, but they're nowhere near, you know, stress levels, which I find kind of crazy, Keith, because even if you're, let's just say you're, let's assume you're right and Europe is totally screwed and has no hope, then how are corporate spreads so tight right now? I, I find that bizarre. Well, the, the European corporate bond market is, it's non-existent. It's basically the pension I think there's no volume? But- as soon as something is issued, the pension funds automatically buy okay. it. Okay. So it is, yeah, it's, yeah, it's not a, um, it's just a fantasy market. <laughs> that's, that's what it is. One is observation from though? Steve. Wait, 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 Steve. Did you just, before Rich commented then, did you, did you use the term own goal? Is that what you just said? It was an own goal. That's what Rich said. Own I agree with guys, Rich. It's, it's, it, here you go again, this European soccer and, and stuff, man. It's hockey. Elbows up today. Elbows up. You guys got to um, come back to the motherland. Get back here. Well, we're coming. We're com- I'm coming. December 1st. That's going to be a, that's going to be a good time. First in Toronto. Plug. But, you know, speaking of, uh, of yields as well, right? So we've got, uh, you know, more happening in the U.S. as well. So an update in the U.S. here. We had the 30-year the fixed mortgage in the U.S. hit 6% for the first time since 2008. Um, which is essentially double what it was a year ago. Refinancing demand fell another 4% for the week and was 83% lower than the same week one year ago. Um, basically, mortgage purchase applications um, were 29% lower than the same same time this same time last year. So yeah, US housing demand obviously continues to weaken. This is really just the story globally, which is, you know, the, at these levels of interest, uh, a lot of things just start to break down. And so, you know, it's not just obviously Canadian housing. It's not just what's happening in Italy. Uh, it is is happening globally. So I think that's an important thing to know. We're actually just waiting for an update on the national housing figures in Canada. We should have those potentially shortly here later this episode, waiting for the uh, official release from the Canadian Real Estate Association. But I think that's kind of the the ongoing trend here. And And it sounds like, do we have an update, uh, Keith, on on the overnight rate? I think, I think the uh, the BOC, for example, I think post Powell and post inflation there, uh, I think the BOC added another twenty five basis points. Your markets are pricing another twenty five. So we got, I think, BOC is supposed to get the four percent by year end, and I think the Fed, the think the Fed's at four now as well, right? Um, I need a second here. 
Well, while um, Keith gets into that, I just want to. So I, I think I have a contrarian view on the U.S. housing, and I think it's I think worth sharing and walking people through why I think what I think. So I think that the U.S. housing is going to be bifurcated. People who own homes and have homes, I don't I don't think that they're going to have we're going to have the price declines year on year that I'm seeing these models on Twitter and and people calling for disaster forty percent. Oh yeah, declines. I think, I think I, it's ridiculous too. I think that that's a, just a gross misunderstanding of how sort of the reality of the U.S. home ownership. Number one is that debt to GDP in the U.S. is seventy percent. Debt servicing costs are really really low. Mortgage servicing costs are even lower. And so when you see these numbers, I think it's it's fair to say that there's somebody in the housing market. It's going to get absolutely killed, and it's going to be the home construction and anything related to sort of the purchase and churn of that housing market. But whether or not you're going to have the systemic issues or having homeowners feel acute pain, I I don't, I don't agree with that. All of the mortgage, not all, but an an incredible amount of mortgages were issued when mortgage rates were at three and the corollary to watching that mortgage application index, which is sort of an index that calculates new mortgages, refinancing, smushes them together and then compares them over time. And that number is very, very, very low, meaning that although if you were to go out now and buy a home, yes, you would be paying a mortgage rate of 6%. But the big difference between the US and Canada is when you buy, and when you get a mortgage in the US, it's a 30-year fixed product. So when you look at that chart, and we'll share it on YouTube, you can see the incredible amount of applications when mortgage rates, rates were basically at, let's say, all-time lows or whatever. And so, you know, in a sense, this is actually an absolute boon for homeowners. You have an inflation, more or less an inflation protected asset. You're not levered or nowhere near as levered as you are historically. Vacancy rates are also really interesting. Those are at lows for both rental and home ownership rates. Um, you know, and you have no forced selling. So unlike in the 2008 crisis where people had massive negative equity, there's none of that in the U.S. And there's none of this uh, ratchet. So there's no arm sales. You know, I remember in uh, the big short where, you know, you had a couple of years of a really low interest rate and then you had to ratchet hard. There's none of that shenanigans. And so, you know, so you have, you know, in order to have this massive rollover in the U.S. housing price, you need to not only have a forced seller, you need to have, you know, people who are, you need to have excess supply, which there isn't, you know, you, and then the other thing is, I think people sort of can do a little bit of math, especially in aggregate, it's difficult to say these kinds of things, but, you know, inflation keeps going higher and higher. And, you know, I think people understand that they a, need to live in their home, but their home is more or less an inflation protected asset. And so that's why, you know, I, I really push back on the fact that house prices are going to fall 25, 40%. I mean, I've seen crazy, crazy numbers. Now, on the other side of that, I think if your home, if you build homes, if you're in home construction, I think if you sell products that go into new homes, white goods, I think that there'll definitely be some effect there. Um, you know, there's something that we look at for supply when it comes to home ownership. It's something called months supply. Steve, I'm sure you, you know about this. Months of supply. For, months of inventory. Yeah, for yeah. new, for existing inventory, it's three months of supply, which is slightly higher than it was a couple months ago, but on inaccurate and historically very, very, very low. But for new homes, we're back to 2008 peaks. So if you're a home builder, I think you're going to get you're going to get it in the teeth. I think if you're a homeowner, I think frankly, I don't think you'll feel it. But anyway, sorry, Keith, um, you were were going to tell us about the. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, I was just going to say because you've got. I mean, I mean, I think it was fantastic. 
trade if you're a U.S. homeowner, you know, 12 months blocking a three-year term at 3%. And then, you know, with inflation, you know, I mean, it's peak now, but, it, you know, hitting 9%, I mean, you locked in 30-year money at 3%. I mean, the, the problem is, is, is it's, it's a different story. I, I think the, the, yeah, Rich, I totally agree. I think these projections uh, in the U.S. I think are ridiculous. I think that the vulnerability is, is in these other markets like Canada, New Zealand, right. I think Australia is the same, where you have these Germany. shorter duration loans, right? Like your loan resets every five years, you're now at the mercy of, of the market. Right. So it's, yeah. Or two years or we have, you know, I think, Hey, we talked about it in Canada, right. During the depth of the pandemic over the last 12 to 18 months, um, over 50% of the market has been going with a variable rate mortgage. Right. So like there's a lot of rate sensitivity and you've got household balance sheets in Canada are significantly worse than than my, most of the G20 and particularly the US, right? The US went through a very, very painful deleveraging in 2008 and 2009. And, and, and we didn't have that here in Canada. So I think when people start looking at, at you know, what the Fed's doing, what the Bank of Canada is going to do and, and, and whatnot, I mean, I think there's a lot more vulnerabilities um, in Canada than there are in the US. So this sort of ties in with the expectations for the Bank of Canada. So right now we're at three and a quarter percent. There are two meetings left for this year. This one, October 26th, and then the first week of December. So uh, the estimate right now where the market is pricing in 50 basis points for the next meeting and then 25 at year end. So we're going to go from three and a quarter to four by year end. And then that's it. There she was. Gone. That's it. There she was. <laughs> Keith, can I ask you a question? Do you think in the US there's enough priced into the market? Because I was looking at this the other day and I saw the terminal rate sort of at the end of next year. So December 2023, I saw something like 3.9. So, you know, where we already basically baked into the cake another percent on September 2020th. That's not a Twinkie bet. I'm just, you know, throwing that out there. Are you uh, you on 100 basis points? For the Fed next week? Yeah. 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 I guess I am so making next... a Twinkie bet. But I'm just <laughs> curious about Keith's point. I'm just curious about Keith's view on like, do you think there's just nowhere near enough priced in for next year? Or do you? Uh, so so uh, again, you just have to go with one thing I love about the Fed. They try to be very transparent. And if the market is pricing it differently, they'll say, oh, guys, you got this wrong. This is okay. what we're telling you. And if they don't tell you directly, they'll tell one of the, you know, one of the, one of the Wall Street banks, and then they'll tell you, you know, that's, that's what they have. Um, but for the, I mean, for next week, it, it's a live meeting. And, and what we mean by that is that there is definitely a rate hike coming and the market is not fully convinced what it's going to be. Right now, it's leaning more towards 75 basis points, but there, there is a chance it's 100. So, so Rich suggesting it's going to be 100, that that's an outlier suggestion by Rich right now at this point. But for uh, rates should peak at year end at four and a quarter right now. So really you're asking, hey, is that reasonable? Will they go more or less? I, I suspect they'll be stopped by okay. that time. I think so. It's it's really in line with the Bank of Canada. You think about it, like all the central banks. Forget about what level they're at. It's really at where they're going and where they priced to end. So, uh, but unless we get you know you know stickier 
inflation data coming out that they'll keep going. But the main point with the Fed, and we touched on it earlier, I know we brought it up, you know, a few months back. And, um, you know, they, you know, back then we were saying, hey, they, they literally want to crush the economy to solve the inflation story. And a lot of people back then said, no, that's not true. That's not what they want to do. But because of the way inflation is being created today, like that's really the only solution they have. And, you know, maybe we'll start seeing weaker economic data coming out now for Q3. You know, we got two weeks left, so we'll start seeing some. Um, if that, if economic data doesn't start to roll over, then, yeah, the Fed can, you know, maybe they hike a bit more. But they they want to see negative growth numbers. Isn't that weird? Now, world, we call it negative growth. It doesn't make sense. But that's what's so interesting about sort of the ISM. Remember, we've talked about this before, the Institute of Supply Management. They do a survey of thousands and thousands of companies. It's very reputable. It's timely. It goes back ages. One of the surveys they do is services. And when it's above, you know, uh, 50. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. What does that 50 positive. number mean? <laughs> I'm going to be positive now. What I kind mean, of that... index is that, Rich? What but kind of index? It's, it's a diffusion index. <laughs> Um, but the, I mean, the, the thing is, is like, you know, we can be negative all we want, but you know, we have to be agnostic in the sense that that's why when I was, you know, I'm looking at, I look at, you know, thousands of charts and that services ISM, remember, I know the manufacturing data, you know, gets a lot of credit and it's, it's not as positive, but it's a much smaller portion of the economy than services. And that services indicator actually went ticked up last month. And so it'll be something to, to keep an eye on. Um, again, back to Keith's point, you know, if we get some positive data, we got some, we keep getting positive data on the employment front. If we get positive data on the ISM services front, who knows what's going to happen to those interest rates. They'll just keep ratcheting higher and, and higher to Keith's point until something breaks. But if, you know, if the U.S., what is it? If the U.S. sneezes, then the rest of the world dies of a heart attack or something. I mean, it'll be interesting how, how that all plays out. I think we look at the rest of the world, right? So we've already chatted about Europe, which I think everybody's well aware they're going in, you know, they're arguably already in a recession. People are calling for a deeper recession. Uh, the outlook is pretty negative there. I mean, we haven't talked too much about China this episode, but I mean, hey, China, China real estate is the, the single largest asset class in the world. And so as that starts rolling over, which it is, I mean, I think it has to be, it has to create a deflationary impulse around the world. Well, the, uh, the, the CCP last or this week, I think they, uh, they reached all their banks to see who had exposure to, I forget what the company was, um, pretty big global player. Um, but again, when, when, that, when that's a public announcement to say, hey, the government is calling all the banks to say, hey, do you have exposure to these guys because you get because they're so big, you know there are knock-on effects. So if one big guy can't pay the bills, it automatically means the next guy down is not going to get paid and, and stuff like that. So the you know the the potential for a, a debt crisis. Well, it already is a debt crisis in China, but uh, it, it doesn't look like it's getting better yet. So that's you want to see that stabilized, and then that will you know help the rest of the world. Yeah, that's so why the it's one of those. Oh, sorry, those, sorry, sorry, one of those ports, one of the Chinese ports just got, is it closed? What, what, what's happening over there? Oh, no, I'm sorry. I think there was a typhoon headed 
towards this, the port. This is not a major yeah. story for now. Sorry about that. I was just going to say the IEA, the International Energy Agency, says, uh, quote, this week, we are seeing the biggest drop in China oil demand in over three decades. And of course, uh, as Rich pointed out, they've locked down, I believe, another major city there, another COVID well, No, it's lockdown. a small city. That's It's a small city of 21 million people, which is like, I don't even remember the Half name of, of Canada. It. But it, it, it this, I mean... This is something we got to keep an eye on for the next like couple months because I think it's the what do they call it? It's like the every five years or whatever they reelect their or well excuse me not they don't reelect is, is the wrong word they rubber stamp the next leader of the communist party and I think it's, it's a five year plan they come up with yeah, a five exactly. year plan so it'll yeah. be interesting to see how like the, those that sort of that trifecta you have COVID continues because you know they still haven't vaccinated enough people because they wanted to use their own vaccine. It wasn't as effective, blah, blah, blah. And they continue to lock down tiny cities of 21 million people. And then you have, you know, you have the real estate crash slash debt crisis. And then you have on top of that, you have a leader of the CCP who's making a power grab. Remember, the, they're they're having three terms as the leader of the Communist Party and the leader of China is not unprecedented, but it is rare. I can't remember the, I should know this off the top of my head, but I don't remember the last time it happened. It hasn't happened in like 30 years or whatever. I, I can't remember who it is, but, and so he's going for a power grab. It's, it's, and, and um, Xi Jinping is going for a power grab. And so those three kind of, you know, those are the three little telltales will be interesting to like keep an eye on over the next, I mean, it's September now we'll see by the end of November, I think all that stuff will be sort of taken care of in, in one way or another. These guys are just going to keep lying. I remember I was actually arguing with a very nice gentleman on Twitter, but he was like very, very much advocating that China was was the model to follow for the pandemic, that like we should just go into these hard lockdowns until like there's no cases. And he was like genuinely felt that way. And uh, since I, I wonder if these people still feel that way today. But um, yeah, it's just a. Uh, Horrible, man. I had some, I had a client uh, actually recently relocated uh, from China uh, back. He's originally born here, and uh, he, you know, he told me he was supposed to be here months ago, but he, it took him. Uh, he was his his travel was delayed by a couple months because uh, he just kept getting locked down and uh, couldn't couldn't get out of the country. So, yeah, I I, I sort of I feel for the people over there because it's 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 got to be tough to live with. Yeah. Thank God we got Trudeau. Oops. <laughs> oh, I'm just kidding. I love you. I love I love all red, white, blue. Don't forget Rich's orange. Rich's Rich orange. orange shirt. I like Jack Layton. He got a man, he, he would have been a good I've actually full guy. disclosure, I, I will say this on air. I, I've actually voted for every political party in Canada. Every there you go. So there you go. That's go. a fun fact. We, we're, we're ending where we started, I think, right? Full circle. Why don't we talk about religion? Let's get into it now. <laughs> a lot uh, of beautiful churches here in Italy. Oh, come on. That's amazing. Yeah, it is pretty cool. Thousand okay, let's wear it back. Next week old. is uh, number 50, right? Oh, that's so right. Hour? Yeah. I think we're going to do something for, we'll do something for 50 or 52 because 52 would be the, the official one year um, anniversary. Uh, it's been a hell of a ride. We still are lagging. Uh, arrive can. Arrive can <laughs> in the, in the reviews. So if you guys could please get up on the Apple podcast and Spotify, get us a five-star review, help us continue to push past 
arrive can uh is, is desperately needed we also pump one more should we pump our uh our our event Yes, the event uh, in Toronto, December 1st. Uh, by the way, if anyone's in Toronto that lives there and has some some leads on some good venues, like we're looking for something pretty down to earth, pretty chill, uh, similar to our last one in Vancouver. We're not looking for like a stuffy, formal, you know, hotel ballroom where, you know, people have to come in suits and stuff. We want it to be a pretty cool environment. So if you've got any leads in that in Toronto, please send us an email. Uh, it's pretty easy to get a hold of us. We are looking for the actual venue, but the date is in fact confirmed. It will be on Thursday, December the 1st. So if you are planning a trip to Toronto or want to start booking plane tickets, what have you, um, that will be the date that is confirmed. Cool. I'm looking forward to it. Maybe Keith, we can go to a final game. parting words. <laughs> Maybe we should have it at Maple Leaf Gardens. I I like that place. (laughs) At least there'll be a couple winners there, right? Maybe. (laughs) And uh, still no national housing figure data, so I will uh, wrap it up there. That's that's a conversation for next week. Anyways, rates are up. Market still sucks. That's all you guys need to know. Uh, (laughs) Thanks for tuning in. As always, we appreciate your support, and we'll see you next week.